live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day. Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy Holtberg. A great good afternoon. How are you? As um, believe it or not, we've got some rain on the way um, throughout the state of Louisiana in Lake Charles and in Lafayette coming to Baton Rouge. Uh, we'll cool things down a little bit, which is a welcomed respite. Good afternoon on this Thursday, June 16th, the year 2022. Hope you're having a great day. Sit back, relax. We hope to inform and entertain for the next two hours here uh, on our show, the Jordy Helper Show. We're on um, uh, the game, 1037 Lafayette, which is where my main man, James Mesh is producing inside the game studios, which is on the campus of Delta Media, which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also on 1041 in Lake Charles. We are streaming around the world on 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. Also in the Acadiana area, you can see us on your television set as we are simulcast on Stadium 32.3. And on 133 on LUS Fiber. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's headlines. A motivated Rory McElroy shot a 67 opening round at the Country Club in Brookline, Mass., first round of the 2022 U.S. Open as of now he is in a five-way tie for first at three under par very early in the competition a lot of the other great players are getting set to uh to play in the afternoon session so stay tuned for that it's game six of the NBA finals and um the Golden State Warriors We'll have a chance to close out the 2022 NBA Finals in Boston tonight after taking that 3-2 lead with a Game 5 win. It's been a topsy-turvy series separated by only 11 points through five games. So will the Warriors raise the Larry O'Brien trophy or will the Celtics send the series back to San Francisco? A lot will depend on one of the key matchups of of the series and of the night will be Jason Tatum versus Andrew Wiggins. We'll have much more on the NBA Finals coming up uh, in the program tonight. You heard in the two-minute drill that the New Orleans Saints are going to unveil a new helmet. Yes, for the first time. Well, for the first time in its regular season history, the Saints will um, put their gold helmets aside for at least one game and wear a different one, different one. It was a surprising announcement today. The Saints revealed they'll be wearing a black helmet at some point during the 2022 season. Now, the franchise has existed since 1967, and in the 54 years since then, the Saints have worn a gold helmet 
in every single game with one caveat, one caveat alone. Um, 1969, preseason, Saints wore a black helmet. I can still see Billy Kilmer at quarterback wearing one uh, with the gold fleur-de-lis and a white stripe uh, going down the middle with a gold stripe inside the middle of the white stripe. Anyway, um, you can look it up, Google it, whatever you want to do, but it looks pretty darn cool. Um, black face mask, and instead of a stripe down the middle, it's got uh, miniature gold fleur-de-lis going all the way from front to back, um, and it looks pretty good. So, so we shall see. We shall see what happens with the uh, New Orleans Saints and if that brings the Saints some luck or if it doesn't. You heard also in the two-minute drill, Coach Jay Johnson's first offseason as LSU's head coach became a little bit more challenging. Not only is he faced with the usual tasks of managing his roster, navigating the MLB draft, he'll also have to replace at least one key assistant coach, and that coach is Dan Fitzgerald, who just finished serving his first year as LSU's recruiting coordinator. He has been hired by Kansas as its next head coach. That's a significant loss. Fitzgerald, an outstanding recruiter who played a big role in LSU securing the nation's number one signing class in 2022. But you know what? Uh, when you hire a top assistant, it's generally understood that eventually he's going to become a head coach. So there you go. Now, what's going to happen with pitching coach Jason Kelly? His name has been linked to an open head coaching position as well. He's thought to be one of several top targets for the vacant head coaching job at the University of Washington. Um, since he spent seven seasons as the pitching coach under Lindsey Meggs, who recently retired from his longstanding position as the Huskies head coach. So we'll see. Uh, congratulations to Dylan Cruz, Jacob Berry, Mikhail Hilliard, Braden Joe Bear for being named to the ABCA All-South Region team. Yes, indeed. Um, we saw it. Two key factors in Major League Baseball. There's not a team hotter in all of sport than the hot Atlanta Braves. Austin Riley homer twice. Rookie Spencer Strider allowed one hit over five and two-thirds innings, striking out 11, and the hot Atlanta Braves won their 14th straight game, 8-2, to two, over the Washington Nationals last night. The Braves matched their 14-game run from July 26th through August 9th of 2013, and their one win away from tying the franchise's post-1900 record of 15-game win streak from April 16th to May 2nd of the year 2000. With their 14th straight win, Atlanta pulled to within four games of the National League East-leading Mets, who lost to Milwaukee. The National League um, is... Uh, Pretty tight with the Braves, as we mentioned, only four games behind the Mets in the NL East. My St. Louis Cardinals are a game and a half over the Milwaukee Brewers in the National League Central, and it's a tie for first in the NL West with the Dodgers and the Padres with the Giants only four games behind. We saw it um, for the first time ever, uh, one of the more – rare individual feats in baseball that is throwing an immaculate inning that's where a pitcher strikes out all three batters they face on the minimum of nine pitches on yesterday against the rangers two astro pitchers luis garcia 
And Phil Mayton managed to do it in the same game, but guess, guess what? Against the same exact batters. Second inning, Houston leading 6-1. to one. Garcia on the bump. He faces Nathaniel Lowe, Ezekiel Duran, and Brad Miller. Precisely nine pitches later, all three batters were out. Garcia had the 106th immaculate inning in Major League Baseball history. Fast forward to the top of the seventh. Relief pitcher Phil Mayton is now on the mound with Houston protecting a 7-2 lead. Low, Duran, Miller, all up to bat again. Nine pitches later, Mayton had the 107th immaculate inning in Major League Baseball history. Again, off the same batters. Houston would go on to win 9-2. The chances of that happening again, slim to probably never. Never say never, but Holy cow, the chances of that, right? Unbelievable. All right, let me tell you what we have showing up on uh, today's episode um, on this uh, Thursday, June 16th. Matthew Bruni will join us. We'll talk all about uh, LSU. They've got some camps going on as I hear thunder in the background. Uh, thank goodness for the indoor practice facility. Chris Connor at the Bird Rights will join us. We'll talk game six of the NBA Finals. More and more mock drafts are coming in. Where does he think the Pels will go? And is it a slam dunk deal that Zion and the Pels will reach an agreement? He's going to get the max money, but under what stipulations? We'll go over all of that. In hour number two, Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports, Mike Huguenin on 3.com, and straight off the practice field and the locker room from the Saints' mini uh, man- <laughs> mandatory minicamp, Uh, John Hendricks will join us. So a very, very busy day for you and yours. In case you didn't know it, it's the game's birthday coming up. And this is your invitation to party with us as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey this coming Wednesday. There'll be delicious wings, amazing door prizes, including the old proverbial station swag, Astros tickets, a 50-inch TV, donated by AVI, car washes from the wash, donated by Service Chevrolet, a gift card from Partners Limited, a round of golf with a cart, always important in this weather, at Cane Row Golf Course. Maybe these things just keep getting more and more. A $150 gift card to Mosley and Hollard Men's Clothing and much, much more. In addition, Crunch Time with Meguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from the party. So, Join us at B-Dubs on Wednesday from, is it 4 to 9 or 5 to 9? What I, I'm just going to say 4 to 9 since uh, Miguez and Mesh start their show at 4. I'm going to say 4 to 9 for the game's 10th birthday bat. Just show up. Have some fun. You may win some stuff. You get to, enter, you get to meet us. We get to meet you. It's going to be a good, good soiree. So come and join us. All right, 12 minutes after the hour, our first time out of the day on a very busy Thursday, June 16th, the year 2022. This is the Jordy Helpert Show. We are on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for LSU sports in Southwest Louisiana and around the world. Jordy Holtberg is known far and wide as the Blonde Bomber for the perfectly feathered golden mane he rocked back in the day at LSU. Just let your soul go. Just let it shine through. 
hair may not be as golden or as long, but Jordy is still making a name for himself. Back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, 60 minutes after the hour, let's dive into the latest in Tigertown as elite camps are going on. Baseball's looking for a new recruiting coordinator and this, that, and the other. And nobody knows it more than Matthew Bruni, our good friend who covers the Tigers for Go 247. Matthew, I hope you're indoors, man, because because it's coming down cats and dogs here. <laughs> yeah, it just uh, the camp moved indoors about. 20 minutes ago, and so I, I headed home. I left Sonny out there uh, to, to deal with whatever's left. Uh, but, yeah, I just got back home, so I'm good. I'm inside. Good. good. All right, what did you see? Let's talk about the elite camp. Um, so I guess you got to be pretty darn good to be invited to this one. Um, so what did you observe? Yeah, it, it, was, it was a bit more uh, exclusive, but – it still was pretty, you know, pretty open to younger players and everything. It, it, the, the way elite sounds to me, and as you know, this is my first year on, on the beat here. So this is my first time seeing a quote-unquote elite camp. To me, I thought it was going to be like 100 kids, you know, max. Uh, it was definitely more than that. Uh, still some talented players out there quarterback-wise, but um, you, had, you had some 2024s, uh, like a Walker White from Arkansas, uh, Colin Hurley. Uh, some other names. So good quarterbacks in there from Joe Sloan. Joe Sloan's done a great job bringing in quality quarterbacks from the, the classes of 2023, 2024, 2025. So um, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And then um, across the board, you know, you had Robert Steeple. You had all the coaches there, all the coaches there talking and uh, getting into it. So that was exciting. I think the defensive backs had a – I think there were some really impressive defensive backs out there. Jermaine Matthews from Ohio, who has Ohio State offer, Cincinnati offer, and um, some other talented players. But um, it wasn't – and I think Sonny, Sonny, talk, Sonny and I were talking about this. It wasn't – like before COVID, you had just, you know, a lot of your four- or five-star guys really come out to these camps you don't have that as much anymore. And it feels like it's becoming more and more just unofficial visits instead of mm-hmm. camps because these players aren't, you know, camping as much. Like Shelton Sampson from Catholic isn't, you know, camping, whereas maybe in years past he probably would have, you know. Right. So it's just it's, it is a little watered down at this moment, but that's, that's kind of the update from, from the day. Okay. Uh, Matthew Bruni, kind enough to join us. Go 247 Sports. We always talk about – uh, so many position groups and all, but um, the luxury is when you don't ever have to talk about special teams because you've got players there that you know and you trust. Well, LSU has to replace Avery Atkins and Cade York. Cade York might be one of the best kickers that LSU's ever had. Um, and so the kicking game under the tutelage of Brian Polian, who's the special teams coordinator, I've heard I've heard Brian Kelly praise um, his former Notre Dame punter, Jay Bramblett, but the kid who's gotten the most talk is this freshman kicker, Nathan Dybert. What, tell me about Dybert, and I mean, Brian Kelly's raved about this kid. Yeah, Nathan Dybert is, I mean, like you said, we've heard a lot of great things about him coming in, and I, we, all expectations, all arrows point to him being the starting kicker this, this coming year, and I think that's probably the safe bet. I, I think um, they don't really have 
another option there. Obviously, you have some other walk-on guys that you trust. Ezekiel Moxa got to kick in the spring game and whatnot. But Nathan Diver um, out of Michigan was a highly rated recruit. And the last regime who obviously recruited Cade York also recruited Nathan Divert. And Nathan Divert will come in and likely get the starting job. And, you know, if everything goes to plan, be the starter for three to four years, you know. So uh, Nathan Divert is the guy you mentioned, Jay Bramblett, punter from Notre Dame, starting punter from Notre Dame last year, comes over. So, um, yeah, you should be okay at those two spots. Another name I'll throw out there is Peyton Todd at punter, who was a highly rated guy coming out of West Monroe. So, yeah, those are the names to know as far as the special teams go. And I think Brian Polian. Uh, has enough experience and uh, knows what he's doing with the group, so I, I trust him. Uh, Matthew Bruni with us. As far as the return game in the spring, we saw um, from St. Thomas Moore in the Cadiana area, Jack Besh was back uh, returning punts. Malik Neighbors was back there. Return- I think Besh will be really good at, at returning punts. His ability first to catch the ball and then his uh, his his vision and that power that he's got to break away from the initial tackler. I, many people think that maybe you need a quicker guy and a speedster, but first catch the ball. That's the most important thing. And then if you make, make that first guy miss, right, then you, then you've got some blockers around that can help you out a little bit. Yeah. Outside of Keishon Butte, there's nobody I trust on the team to catch the ball more than Jack Bess. And then probably after him is Malik neighbors. Those are the two guys with, in my opinion, the best hands on the team outside of the chase. So, um, yeah, I, I have I saw that as well. I think that's very realistic. I think neighbors best. Um, we saw some running backs go in and out of there as well, getting some some reps. Uh, obviously, Corey Connor's gone. He got some. Uh, Armani Gilmore got some. You know, maybe Trey Bradford. Um, but I, I would expect Malik Neighbors, Jack Best, those those type of guys to, to get it. I didn't really. I, I don't remember seeing any other receivers in there like a Drake Jenkins or a Kyron Lacey. So. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's probably the way I would go as well. I, and I think um, I keep mentioning Brian Kelly being the closest thing LSU's had to Nick Saban <laughs> since Nick Saban. Um, and he's a fir- firm believer, just like Nick was, in the importance of special teams. And he likes to use frontline starters on special teams like Devin White in the past, Jarvis Landry. Uh, they were all difference makers on special teams. So, um, I, I expect him to play his best players and to really focus on that aspect. And, uh, I mean, that's it's an important part of the game. Yeah, we saw Nick Saban do that, I mean, even this past year with the receivers that he had. Yeah. They had him as gunners on the punt, punt coverage team. So it's very much um, something that certain coaches like doing, and I think Pauline um, and Kelly – uh, can will insert that at, at times, uh, especially when you're trying to build the depth of this team. You know, when uh-huh. you come in and there's only you know 30, however 38 scholarship players, and you have to fill out a whole roster. You might not have those, you know, players that are on scholarship that you can just be like, okay, you're going to focus on special teams. You know, I think it's going to be uh, there will be some receivers you see on punt coverage and punt return, and you know, I think. Jack Bess and, and uh, Malik and everybody, a couple of names that I'm, I'm interested in and watching that. So um, I don't know if there'll be an, an Odell Beckham or Jarvis Landry talent, but I think they'll be, they'll be fine in the return game. Ooh, Dominique Davis, Skylar Green, LSU's had some incredible uh, return. Trendon Holloway, uh, Holiday rather. I mean, they've had some, some unbelievable um, skilled people 
uh, fielding punts and kickoffs that were just dynamic. So, so hopefully, hopefully they will as well. I, I mentioned in baseball, Dan Fitzgerald getting the head job at Kansas. That's always great. Uh, but one mm-hmm. man's treasure is another man's misfortune. Mm-hmm. And now uh, Jake Johnson's got to go back to the drawing. Well, how big of a loss is it from this recruiting coordinator aspect of things? It is it is a loss, um, but I, I think a lot of people expect Jay Johnson. I think Jay Johnson expects himself to bring in a top-tier class, and I think that's what they've done um, at this moment, just between the pitches that they're set to bring in, and then we see them already hitting the transfer portal. Um, I think that there's just a big sense of urgency right now to turn this roster over to how he wants it to look, and I don't think it really – I mean, obviously it matters who the recruiting coordinator is, but I think Jay Johnson is so strong-headed that he's going to get the recruits that he needs on campus and he's going to get the transfers he needs on campus. I I think this, while I don't think it's going to be a complete overhaul as far as roster construction goes, I think uh, from a pitching standpoint, at the very least, we're going to see plenty of of new names here. So obviously it's a loss, but Jay Johnson is such an experienced guy, such a talented coach that I, I expect him to, to move quickly, uh, not only in replacing him, but in filling out the, the class in the future. Before we let you get out of here, one more question. Football-wise, um, LSU opens up with Florida State. Um, Florida State was 5-7 and seven a year ago. So many times that opening game can, can set the tone for the rest of the season. Uh, your thoughts on Florida State coming to New Orleans, playing in Caesar Superdome? I think it's a really interesting matchup. Um, Mike Norvell obviously disappointed in first year. You know, he had that wild loss to Jacksonville State. Um, you know, start the year 0-4 and then bounce back. And they had some decent wins last year that, you know, over Boston College, North Carolina. Um, the question is, and a lot of fans I've, I'm, I know are, are skeptical of this, is it's Florida State's second game of the year, whereas it's LSU's first game of the year. And I know that's a big Concern coming off last year where UCLA got to play Hawaii and then obviously looked like the more prepared team in that week one. Obviously, the new coaching staff, you get Brian Kelly, it's not at Orgeron's staff in there. So we expect the Tigers to be ready, but Florida State this year plays Duquesne in, on August 27th, a whole you know right. week ahead of coming to New Orleans. So it is something to consider. Uh, I expect Florida State to be better than five and seven this year, at least on paper, and you know in the a- the ACC. So I definitely think it's going to be an interesting matchup. But it's just hard for me to like look at a two and a half point spread and not think LSU sh- should be able to uh, win the game um, against Florida State moving on. If they obviously if they don't, it will be um, not fun in Baton Rouge yeah, if, <laughs> if they're if not LSU able to pull that one out. If LSU had announced who their starting quarterback would be, I think that spread would jump up to five. I really do. But the unknown, that, yeah. that keeps yeah. keeps uh, Vegas going. Well, they must not have anybody good if nobody separated themselves. So I think that's the cause for that. All right, we'll see. Well, Matthew, I'm glad you uh, got back safe and sound before the weather. Poor Sunday ship, you left the old man covering the ship, <laughs> covering the fort for you. But, uh, hey, whatever. Whatever works, works. But I thank do. you. It's always fun talking with you, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Anytime. All right, Matthew Bernie, go to four seven sports rescue fest is Saturday, June 25th at park international. It's a day of live music featuring the Sarah Russo band jet seven, Layla Laverne, Hunter Corville and Cam Nelson. 
There'll be plenty of food, games, and even, is it bad that I've never heard of any of those people? Probably, but that doesn't mean anything because I don't get out and about like that. But anyway, there'll be plenty of food, games, and even a raffle. Rescue Fest is a fundraiser for the Rescue Group of Acadiana, a group that provides financial and emotional assistance to grieving families of child loss. To buy tickets, go to Eventbrite or by visiting rescuegroup.org. Yes, indeed. All right, we'll take a quick time out of it. When we come back, game six of the NBA Finals. Can the Warriors close it out, or will Boston send it back to the Bay for game seven? We'll uh, talk about that. Plus, who will the Pels select? They've got a first rounder at number eight, second rounder number 41. Uh, Chris Connor joins us next here, the Jordy Helpert Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are your home for the Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, he's a part of Boot Crew Media. Um, He's one of my favorite when it comes to talking NBA hoops, talking Pelicans and all that fun stuff. Mr. Chris Conner joins us on this uh, Thursday, June 16th, with game six of the NBA Finals tonight. And the Golden State Warriors looking to close things out at the TD Garden um, as they take on the Boston Celtics. Chris Connor, good afternoon, sir. How you doing, man? I'm hot. I'm hot, but I'm happy <laughs> to be It's raining on, here, so <laughs> rain's coming your way. It's going to cool things off a little bit, brother. It's going to cool All things right. off. You know what I found out? You know what I, you know what I observed? I know what the Pelicans need, and they're not the only one in this league that needs this. They need a player like an Andrew Wiggins. He's not your number one option. He's not your number two option. But, man, when when those things aren't working, there's a dude that's going to defend on one end of the court, and he's got the ability to go get you 20 to 25 on the offensive end. That's what the Pels need, my man. That's what they need. You know, isn't it interesting how how the narrative on Andrew Wiggins has changed now that, he, now that he's in a different situation yep. um, around other professionals and winners, you know, um, now, I remember when the when Golden State made the trade to acquire Andrew, and I, I think they traded a they traded a pick and or they traded D'Angelo Russell, and I, and yep. a lot of people were saying, oh well, why why you know Clay was hurt at that period of time, the Warriors were in the midst of a of a bad year, I believe, and it, it didn't make sense to people. People thought that, that Andrew just lacked a lot of the intangibles that it would take to help you know to turn his career around and be a winning player, and now. He has an opportunity to win a championship, man. You know, it just shows you know what what you can do in the right circumstance. How much environment matters, and the opportunity to be in a situation where you're needed and people will support you. Case in point: Kevin Garnett, for years and years, toiled in Minneapolis. He leaves, goes to Boston. Different culture, different ownership, different way of doing things, and he gets his NBA championship. It's just it's just the way it works. It, it's it's how Kevin Love left uh, Minnesota, goes to Cleveland, 
course, he gets hooked up with LeBron and company, gets himself uh, uh, into the playoffs and the championship. It's all about culture. It's all about fit. And that's what uh, Wiggins is all about. And he's really blossomed in this thing. Um, There's only been one player in the history of the NBA to win the MVP award and not be on the winning team. That was 1969, Jerry West of the Lakers. They lost to the Boston Celtics, but West was the MVP. Is has Steph Curry done enough to be the MVP of this series, regardless? Yeah, you know, Jody, I I think that it's clear that he's been the best player uh, in the series. He had a he had a rough game, yeah. Uh, but finally, you know, he finally got some help from his teammates. Talked about Wiggins. Clay had a better game. This other stepped up to make this a little bit easier for him. So, I I think for that conversation to happen i think steph would have well in today's age steph would have had to almost go flawless and perfect because we look at some of the other guys that have missed out like think about when i what we want to say six seven years ago when lebron during ironically steph curry's first ring and andre gudala becomes the finals mvp when it was clear lebron james was the best player in that series so yeah uh you know i think that while i I get it. I could see the argument made. I just think Steph would have had to be, and he's been he's, he's been phenomenal. But if you're looking at it, and some of the guys that didn't get that same that same luxury, didn't get that same call in combination with how he performed in Game Five, you know, I, unless he goes off back to we're talking back to back 50 point games in Boston somehow somehow wins maybe we're having a, a discussion there but okay good no, point. I think I think the level of dominance needed to continue even in winning game five everybody talks about um the uh, the Warriors offense they, they've been held to the same average kind of sort of uh level of production every game this series the Celtics defense has been very consistent what's determined the winner in each game is the Celtics offense or lack thereof. Much of that offense is predicated on Chris taking care of the ball. Here's a stat for you. In each of their two wins, the Celtics only turned the ball over 12 times. In their three losses, they turned it over 18, 15, and 18 times. So just take a look at the turnover six stat line tonight, and that that should determine the winner and the loser. Very good point. Very good point. And you know, look, uh, you know, I know a lot of people want to point at Boston and use this time while they're in the finals to say, you know, they, they, need, a, they need a point guard. And you know, I think at the end of the day, they need Jason Tatum. They need Jalen Brown. They need those guys to take care of, you know, better care of the basketball, Marcus Smart, and just make better overall decisions. The talent is there. Well, all those guys can handle the basketball. And Jason Tatum is your best player. Jalen Brown, your second best player. Some nights he plays like he's, he, he is the best player. Those guys, they, they've shown you that Golden State has trouble in containing them at different right. parts of the series. And it, they're, but it, they're both difficult matchups, especially when they're both on the floor. It's just hard to have to deal with guys that size that can do so much with the basketball and that are that talented, athletic, so on and so forth. But – at the end of the day, it comes down to those guys taking care, of, taking care of the basketball. Like you said, you can't give Golden State extra opportunities. They have too many op- too many ways to exploit that, and they're well coached. Both teams are well coached. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's it. I think if 
if, if Boston, it's clear in the stat that you said, if Boston can take care of the basketball, they're going to have an opportunity, especially at home, to get this back to Golden State. And Game 7, you know, we know the adage about anything can happen there. But it starts with Jason Tatum. I want to hear about them needing a point guard. He's their best player. He has all the skills and tools available. We've seen him be develop as a passer. We've seen him make the right play. He has to do it. It just so happens to be against the other, you know, arguably the best team, the most talented team in basketball, staring them in the face. And it's the Warriors who let Kevin Durant walk uh, to go find his own way. And it's uh, the Celtics who said goodbye to Kyrie Irving. It's just rather fitting, I think. So we'll see game six uh, tonight. Um, we shall see. Should be interesting. I, I, I cannot see Steph Curry having another game like he had. But then again, I don't know if Andrew Wiggins can have another game like he had. So we shall see. We shall see. Uh, Chris Connor at the um, uh, uh, Boot Crew Media and all the things that he does. All right. Um, we're like a week away from the NBA draft. And uh, the Pels sitting at number eight. You've evaluated. You looked around. You've, you've kind of prognosticated what all the teams in front of the Pels are going to do in a perfect, perfect world. Take away the top three or four, um, because that's going to be Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren and Pablo Boncaro and Ivy from Purdue. Those are the four that are going in some order for one through four. That leaves you some pretty good players, five, six, seven, and eight. In a perfect world of those players that are left over after those top four, who would you love for the Pels to pick and why? Well, I've been I've been on the Dyson Daniels train train for a little bit. You know, when I I when I first started to, you know, look a little deeper into some of the guys outside of the top four, probably you know, I'd probably say post lottery, Dyson was the first guy I watched and I I think that you have other other options there clearly, right? Ben Matthews. Mm-hmm. I think probably a guy who can make better initial impact out of the gate if year one if they need him to then say maybe Dyson would, but that's just that's just my that's just you know who I think um, out the gate who might be able to do more for you. You could say all right, that guy's going to be able to fit what this team needs currently today as constructed. Okay. But Dyson Daniels, you know, and and there's there's other options. Maybe you know maybe Sharp falls, and we you know we can talk all day about the talent there and some of the options. And I know people were saying, well, what you know, well, what about what about a center? You know, would you consider Jalen Duran? Would you consider? Uh, I mean, there's there's a bunch of other guys, but that. The thing I like about Dyson Daniels out of the G League, his overall story, um, you know, coming from what, what I believe he's from Australia, um, gets to the G League, gets an idea of what it's like to play um, anywhere close to professional basketball, you know, the closest that the NBA will give you outside of the next, you know, the overall stage. Um, the, some of the individuals that he played with there on that G League team, School Henderson and uh, and what. Jalen Hardy, guys that are you know that can put the ball in the basket, and he decided to make the best of his game, sacrifice uh-huh. or what he said, sacrificing his his offensive game, and kind of be more of a glorified role player, and that still got him to a situation to be on a big stage. You like his size, you you know you like his intangibles. I like some of the things I've heard about him workouts, and I love what he brings defensively. Um, you know, ironically, man, a lot of you know a lot of the tools that. That you know that I look at when I watch him remind me of what Lonzo Ball left when he left New Orleans um, as a what 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 people have now called a coin the term a connector 
right? Pass, okay. Maybe not the guy who's going to initiate your offense, but has some of those skills and can find, you know, you know, is a very good, a very good individual to have that may not make the play, you know, may not make the pass that, that gets the assist, but the hockey assist, being able to quickly decipher okay. when, the, when an offense is flowing, where the ball needs to go and get out of the way. Um, I'm curious to see where his jump shot goes. And he still has some playmaking things that he can work on. But I, I just, you know, I like what he'd be able to add. If it's, I don't believe it's going to be year one. I don't really believe it. You know, I don't see a whole bunch of minutes for anyone to draft. You know, hopefully injuries if, if, if the right. team's able to stay healthy. But I like what Dyson can bring, uh, being able to do a little bit of everything. I like what he can bring as a defender. And I think, I think his shot, his form looks, it looks good enough for them to be able to work on it and get them together for him. It works to be respectable. And that, you know, and that's someone that can continue to add to the flexibility that I think this roster and this lineup would like while not getting in the way of your heavy lifters who are going to score the basketball. The team is not going to have a problem scoring uh, between C.J. Zion, B.I., and Jonas Valanciunas, Trey Murphy, and company. So yeah. um, that's where my eyes are at. It's a, it is a, um, it'll be a difficult lineup to crack because you got your starting five in there and your, your, your backups. I mean, you've got Alvarado, you got Murphy, you got Nance, uh, just to name a few. Um, could, could Daniels team up with Alvarado in the backcourt and make, make that a little, uh, a little better? Or is Devonte Graham still miles and miles ahead with his ability? Cause I'm not very high on Devonte Graham. Maybe, I, maybe I'm selling him short, but from what I saw last year, uh, I know it's different environment. He didn't have the green light like me, like he may have had in Charlotte. Just looked like a completely different player that couldn't throw it in the ocean. Well, I mean, you know, he definitely, Jordy, um, after which was actually a pretty good start, right? He he, he had a couple game winners. Uh, you know, we talked about you know he was in the beginning of the year. We would the, the talk around Devontae Graham was how clutch he was. Some of the fourth quarters uh-huh. he was having, some of the big shots he knocked down for them. And then you know he hit a wall, man. I mean, uh, he 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 hit a wall. You could see his his confidence start to start to be at play. But you know, I don't think that the Pelicans. I mean, from everything that I know, I don't think that, that they're going to make any drastic changes. And I think they're going to give a good majority of the guys that were on the team at worst to be a part of welcoming Zion Williamson back. Because whether whether we like it or not, if I was building a team. I wouldn't want, and then you know you have the, you know you you still have Kyra Lewis, so you know you still got to figure some things yeah, about out, you know, right? That's right. You know, but I mean, I preferably would want a bigger guard next to Jose Alvarado because, it's, in my opinion, he's your backup point guard. But you know, Devontae, um, it wasn't like Devontae was was completely horrible. He got to a point to where it was hard for him, like he almost had to be perfect for people to be, um, you know, satisfied with his performance because sure. he is a volume shooter. He's always been a volume shooter. He's not a big, you know, he's not a big guy. He's not going to be fancy. You know, he's not going to be a shutdown defender, and, and he's not active at getting to the cup consistently. So, right. you know, or, or, or finishing at the basket. So he's in a tough spot. But I think a lot of those individuals on that team are going to, at worst, get an opportunity to see who works with Zion and who doesn't, who works with lineups surrounded by Zion and CJ and, um, and B.I. because, I mean, look, I think we in our heads we, we can pencil how we think this is going to go, but I guarantee you there are going to be elements about working back Zion Williamson that are working him back into this fit that we just don't – we haven't thought about yet. Right. And there are going to be players right. that work and some that don't. And, you know, I don't know if putting a rookie, Dyson Daniels or a guy like him, could end up be, being a better fit, 
fit. I mean, if I if I had to gamble, if I was making a call, I would probably do so. But I think from what I know about them, they're going to give a lot of these guys an opportunity to run this back, make some minor changes, and then figure out from there who fits best around their core. And it may be someone on the roster today. It may be someone, it may be someone in this draft or maybe someone in free agency or, or on another team. But I think we're a long way away from figuring that out. Devontae at worst is going to get an opportunity. Okay. So – Devontae Graham, you think he'll still be on the club? You think Jackson? You you don't think any changes? They're gonna they're gonna run it back and um and and just hope that the the fact that Zion is is healthy and gonna play is gonna make the difference from a team that played um in the play in round to a team that's gonna be um a lot better than that. And I can understand that. I I can understand the value of Zion. I really can. Well, I, you know, I, and then, I mean, look, you know, you're 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 looking into Trey Murphy's second year, what that might look like. Yeah. Heard great yeah. things about him so far, um, and how his training has been going. Heard Jones, what he's going to look like year two. What's Jose Alvarado going to look like year two? What what is CJ going to look like with the whole off season here? Mm-hmm. What changes will he make? Jonas Valanciunas is second second year here. You know, will Najee Marshall end up coming back and prove right? Like remember right. last year, we were talking, we were having. A conversation about what to do with Josh Hart, right? And then Josh yeah. Hart becomes one of the most important players on your team, and it ends up getting you a CJ McCollum, being a part yep. of a deal like that. Like we thought Nikhil Alexander Walker last year was a guy that was going to make a big, you know, big step forward, along with Jackson Hayes. And some, right. and the consistency, you know, just there, it, like it came in different different areas than we expected. So now Jackson's a guy that I could see move, but yeah. You know that that could have a lot to do with other things outside of outside of basketball. His contract upcoming, some of the off the floor right. things, and that's yep. before talking about where you see him going forward if he's not a center. He's a guy that, I, that if I had to guess, if I had to pick somebody and say he won't be back, you know, one of the bigger quote unquote names on the roster, Jackson would probably be it going into year four. But I think for the most part, man, they, they're going to keep this thing together and give a lot of guys opportunities to see what's there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I it's just I just get the feeling that you know we we think we have an idea of how this is going to look, and it all, once the season starts, guys that you're not expecting come out of nowhere. Some guys disappoint, and some some surprise you. And you know we're just going to have to see how that looks once um, yeah. you know we get to October. My prediction: the most important aspect, one obviously, is Zion returning and staying healthy. But but number two is, and you mentioned it, is the um, the leap that Trey Murphy makes from year one to year two. I think he's got all the skills that you need to become a very, very important. He's got size. He's got length. He looks like a Boston Celtic to me. Uh, and if his offensive game comes into the forefront, like, uh, like we think it will, I think he got something special there. So that those are the two most important things to me. We shall see. Um, Chris Connor, you're the best man. Thank you. Enjoy game six tonight. Who you got by the way? Uh, I got Boston taking it back to um, getting it back too. to Golden State. Game and seven at the Bay, nothing like it. That's I'm with you, Chris. Thank you so much. Always fun to catch up with you, buddy. Anytime, Jody. I'll be here. You're the man. Thank you. You know the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you in many ways. When you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes. How about a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou? 
or a $50 gift certificate to the Half Shell Oyster House. How about a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen? You can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So uh, go sign up today. Why not? We'll be back. The Jordy Heltberg Show to wrap up our number one next. Jordy Holberg was draining three-pointers with ease way before Steph Curry came on the scene or was even born. Now, back to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Looks like it's going to be a pretty good football season for uh, LCA, the Knights. Um, apparently three of their players went up to Alabama to take a look-see and do a little camping. And Sandy Lewis, Melvin Hills, and Jawan Johnson, all three picked up scholarship offers from Nick Saban. So let's go. Tigers, where are you? I'm sure they're offering them, right? Jawan Johnson pretty highly recruited. But congratulations to those three men. There's a picture of them. Uh, right next to Nick Saban in his in his office with all those uh, NCAA League championship rings, and uh, that's that's pretty good. Um, Saints note: Dennis Allen on Alante Taylor, the rookie from Tennessee. Quote: Dennis Allen says, "I think he's probably a little further ahead than what I anticipated when he got him here, and I'm excited about seeing what he can do." All right, so we'll talk NFL football with Frank Schwab, college sports with Michael Huguenin. Saints report with John Hendricks, all coming your way. Hour number two of the Jordy Helpert Show here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Back for hour number two after this timeout and the top of the hour sports update here on The Game. Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. It is a Saints touchdown. This is the Jordy Holberg Show. Hey, baby, we're going to be Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy Holberg. It's our number two of two, and away we go. We finally got some rain here cooling things down, but next week it's going to be over 100 degrees, and that's not taking into the fact that the humidity and the heat index is going to be blazing saddles in this part of the world, so enjoy this brief respite we're brought to you each and every day by ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets. If you can't shop right at the 60 ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets around this great state of ours, you just can't shop right at all. Uh, mini, mandatory mini camps are underway. Of course, the Saints will get a report about them later on in the show. But all around the, our, the, the, the state's um, we've got football going on. Um, and so with that in mind, it's time to bring in our good friend who's been, man, I've been jelly. He's been traveling all over the world, deservedly so, from Yahoo Sports, uh, Mr. Frank Schwab joining us. Frank, welcome back to reality, man. How's it going? <laughs> going well, going well. 
<laughs> I thought the coolest thing I saw um, was in Chicago today, 52 years ago, Brian Piccolo died of cancer. And in Ooh. honor of that, all 90 Chicago Bears players wore number 41 jerseys at practice today. I thought that was really cool. I think that is. I mean, I, I mean, you don't know how these I, look. None of these players were alive when that happened. Right. You don't know how these players know the the history of the game, the franchise, and all that. And it's just a really cool, like everything about it. Everything about it's really neat. And uh, I mean, it's it's a great nod to the past. And you know, we all know that story from the the Brian song and all that. So just yeah, I had the same reaction. I just thought that that's a really really cool gesture. And and hopefully, you know, I, I think that. You know, new coach in there, Matt Eberflus. That that helps endear him. Like it's a Bears fans, and uh, you know, to say, yeah, I, I know what the Bears history is all about, and I'm going to honor it. That's one of those movies I cry every time I watch it. At cert- at that certain point in the movie, and that music starts playing, I just I start bawling, crying. I just do. So I thought that was great, great by uh, by the uh, Chicago Bears. Um, is there an under the radar team that you're keeping your eye on this year? We all know who the, you know, the top teams are supposed to be, but is there a team under the radar that you think is not getting uh, enough notoriety that you think could make some headways this year? You know, I do wonder about the Raiders uh, because, you know, there's a lot of stuff in their profile that says they were a little lucky last year, but I, we've all buried them. We've all put them in last place of the AFC West. This is still a team that was 10 and 7. They probably should have beat the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati in the wild card round. We we all remember how close they came. Yeah. In the off season, they added Devonte Adams, who might be one of the ten most valuable non quarterbacks in the league, and they also added the pass rusher Chandler Jones from Arizona. So why are we sleeping on them? Why are we just dismissing them? And also, you know, they. they they did hire Josh McDaniels, who I don't know that I'm the biggest fan of his, but who knows? I, obviously, an offensive genius, and and he brings you know a, a new kind of a new approach to the job than he had in Denver when he really really failed the first time. So I just wonder if if the Raiders are that team under the radar because we're all talking about Russell Wilson and the Broncos, and you know Justin Herbert's back with the Chargers, and obviously the Chiefs are the Chiefs. I wonder if we're just sleeping on the Raiders and how good they might be. I mean, again, a 10-win team got a lot better in the offseason, and, and nobody is really giving them much credit. Frank Schwab, Yahoo Sports. Um, 2021 was the year of the quarterbacks, six quarterbacks with Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Davis Mills. Who has the best second year out of those? That so much depends upon the team you're on um, and how, what opportunities you get. But uh, who, who, who are you putting your money on to have the better second year? This probably is just a really simple answer. But to me, it's Trevor Lawrence I, for a few reasons. One, prospects of his stature rarely bust. I, first yeah. picks do bust, Jamarcus Russell and all that. But when you get to that rarefied era, the really, truly elite Uber prospects like he was, if you look at the list in NFL history of those quarterbacks, most of them are at least good, solid quarterbacks. And I doubt he's just a bust. And at some point, you just have to say, it wasn't all Urban Meyer's fault last year. I mean, Trevor Lawrence missed some passes, and that's not all on uh, on the coach. But the atmosphere there was so toxic that it almost feels like he didn't even have a rookie year. Like, so I think that when you look at some of the improvements they made on the offensive line, even a receiver, 
and you look at just his talent, you look at and you say Trevor Lawrence is the guy who's going to emerge. Still, I believe in his talent. I believe in him. I believe in a better environment there. Although I will say, like everybody's down on Trey Lance, and I'm not. I think Trey Lance, I, the kid threw eighty some passes last year, something around there. Why? I don't know why there's this like air of negativity around him. I don't think he was that bad. Go back and look. He started in week, I believe it was week seventeen uh, against. I think it was Houston. Go back and look at his touchdown pass to Debo Samuel. He he rolls to the right and throws all the way back across the left, and it's just a dart. And you could mm-hmm. there are times when he unleashes it where you just say Trey Lance has got the goods. I, I, he needs yeah he needs some time, but that's what the offseason's for. I think he's going to really come along. Kyle Shanahan is a great offensive coach. I still really believe in Trey Lance, but I'll, I'll take Trevor first. But I think Trey Lance is one of those guys who who might be a lot better than we expect. Is there a time where it's too late? Let, and I'm taking into consideration Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know what they're going to do with these players. I don't know what who they're going to send them to, if they're going to keep them because of insurance policies. And I, I have I have no idea. But is there a cutoff time where, like, okay, where we've started training camp and they're still with Cleveland and San Francisco, respectively? Is there a time where it's too late to make a trade? I almost think it might be by now. I mean, think of, you know, because I'm here based in Denver, so we hear a lot of these stories. Russell Wilson it was traded here in March, three three months ago, roughly. Right. He has been basically in the building every single day, uh, getting a rapport with his teammates, learning the playbook, learning the organization, right. even getting involved in communities, been at Avs games and stuff like that. So... You think about all the th- and and we go back to Tom Brady when he joined the Buccaneers. That same deal where he was organizing workouts during COVID and or learning the playbook. And right. there's a lot that goes along with being quarterback. You can sign as a running back a week before the season is having an impact. Right. I don't know that you can a quarterback. It's just so hard. And you look at a guy like a Baker Mayfield. If he goes to Carolina. All of a sudden, it's it's mid June. You don't have any time left with your teammates. Yeah. You're gonna just get together with them in training camp and figure this all out. That's a tough ask, and it would reek to me as a desperation move. And also, I think this needs to be pointed out where you look at the Cleveland Browns might lose their quarterback for the full season, right. and they are basically at least discussing with Carolina this option where they're picking up half of Baker Mayfield's salary, eight nine million, whatever it is. Doesn't that set off any alarms in Carolina that the Cleveland Browns are saying, "Sure, we'll pay half of our half of Baker Mayfield's salary to ship him off and go with Jacoby Brissett all year?" Doesn't that tell Carolina that yes, maybe Baker's not the guy? You. I don't know. I don't get yes. why there's even still talk. I think just just if you're Carolina, it's just Sam Darnold 2.0. Like nothing's really going to change. So to answer your question, though. I do think it's too late. And, and you know, I mean, somebody, I think what's going to happen is probably a team takes an injury and they are desperate. They just don't have a backup situation. They go to San Francisco and they say, all right, we need Jimmy. What's the price? Uh, and we need to save our season. But as far as right now, as far as just a proactive move to, to go get one of those guys, I honestly just think it's too late for them to have a good season. Yeah, that's why I asked. I'm like, how? Man, there's got to be a cutoff point. There's so much to learn. So many people to get acclimated with. And just, I agree with you 100. percent You mentioned the Avalanche. How how crazy is Denver going? Four three win game one of the Stanley Cup Finals. Man, is it a is it a hockey town? 
It, it really is, and it always has been. I've been here 20 years, and it's much more a hockey town than a basketball town. But the Avalanche yeah. have always gotten a bigger buzz than the Nuggets, even now with Jokic, and, and, and it, it's always been, and more so when the Avalanche are good. Like, you know, I mean, uh, that does happen. But it's Broncos first and foremost. Like, yeah, anything that happens, Broncos-related trumps everything else, even the Avalanche and the Stanley Cup Finals. But it has always been a really good hockey town, and this team is fun, man. I, I'm not an Avalanche fan necessarily, but I really enjoy watching them. They they're just so good on on offense that it's it's one of those hockey teams that you just watch and you're like this is this is how hockey should be just this free flowing up and down I, I really enjoy watching them and it's it's fun to see you know the the, the entire city just get get really energized awesome. by this team that is awesome Frank Schwab Yahoo Sports up there in Denver with with uh, all the speculation of um, uh, Russell Wilson and all that. That's, that's a great sports town. It really is. Okay. Um, yeah. Is Lamar Jackson going to be the next highest paid quarterback in the history of football? I mean, he said in a, in a 10 minute news conference, first time he's spoken in about five months to the media that quote, we're having a conversation about it. Um, how much value is Lamar? Is he going to be the highest paid quarterback next? Really interesting situation because, I mean, look, I, this is what I think, not necessarily what Baltimore thinks, obviously, that Lamar Jackson, if you look at the the like, the like records of most rushing attempts for a quarterback in, in a single season in NFL history, I think the first four of them now are Lamar Jackson, maybe the first five, however many years wow. he's been in the league now. He's running at a pace we've never seen before out of a quarterback, and you start to wonder, especially after Cam Newton hit the wall, yeah. Yeah. Is is Lamar going to age like a running back? And is he? Do you want to give him that? You know, what is it going to be? Five years, hundred eighty million, whatever it's going to be. This this enormous contract, probably north of forty million. Is is that going to really pay off in the end? And I don't know what the answer is there. I think Baltimore is going to end up paying him because that's what NFL teams do. And right. you just you know Lamar Jackson's a special talent. He really, really yeah. is. I mean, this guy former MVP, former unanimous MVP. So you know the talent is there, but I wonder if they're just going to do it knowing this is really, really a lot more risk than than we think it is. And just because, again, his 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 career path, his career arc probably isn't going to be that he's going to be still at a high level in his mid-30s. Like, it's just not. And that's nothing against him. It's just the style of play. We've seen it now with Cam, and now I, I worry we're going to see it with Lamar. But Desiree, I think he will get paid. I think that, that Baltimore just isn't going to want to let that guy go because he, he's such a, a, a great player, really, and has energized that franchise. But I think there's a lot more risk there than, than you know they really want to take on. Frank Schwab, Yahoo Sports. I, I, I love talking quarterbacks because they're the most important player on the field. Uh, a quarterback that played high school ball in Louisiana, went to Mississippi State. Now he's with the Dallas Cowboys. There's so much um, differing opinions of Dak Prescott and his level of play. He's never taken the Cowboys to that that elite level. And then some people say, but he's an elite quarterback. Where, where is Dak Prescott on your chart? He's in that probably fringe top ten to me. He's very good. I think he's he's the kind of guy you can win with. I don't know. Look to me. I've always said this that instead of ranking, I almost go by tiers. And there's the top tier of guy who, no matter who his teammates are, no matter coaching scheme, no matter what's around him, he's going to lift everybody on his shoulders. Russell Wilson's a guy like that. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, the guys who 
you know, no matter how else you screw up your franchise, he's going to make things better. I don't think Dak's that guy. Like, I don't think that he's that category of guy. I think there's only about six, seven dudes like that on the planet. He's just outside of that. You can win with him. He's very good. If you put a good team around him, you can do very, very well. But I don't view him as that elite, like, you know, he's he's Aaron Rodgers. Like, I, I don't think that anybody really does. But he can put up good numbers and win a lot of games. And I think you can even win a Super Bowl with him. But they're going to have to help him. And now, you know, I mean, this this offseason was not good to Dallas. You lose Amari Cooper. You lose some offensive linemen. Michael Gallup's coming back off an ACL. So all of a sudden you whittle away his weapons a little bit, and the team around him is not as good. Is he going to be as good? I think he's going to be fine. But, again, I have him just on that cusp of, He's really, really good. I I would have paid him too, but is he that really, truly special Patrick Mahomes level guy? No, I don't think he's quite there. But doesn't mean you can't win with 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 him. But it it does mean you need to put a good team around him. And I'm not quite sure how good Dallas's team is coming into this season. Yeah, I'm with you, um, Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports. Uh, this may be a stretch, but uh, everything you hear coming out of the Washington Commanders, it, it's like toxic. And it always starts at the top. Has Dan Snyder taken over the the level of a Donald Sterling, the former owner of the L.A. Clippers? Is he almost approaching that line, maybe in a different way, but it's like toxic and nobody wants to be around it? I think so, yeah. I mean, he is ruined. I, I can't tell you. You know, okay. You know, when you're a sports fan, I mean, a bunch yeah. of Saints fans there, like you're born into it usually, right? Like right. you're a Saints fan your whole life. You're not, I have never, I have so many friends or acquaintances or whatever who are Washington fans who have just said in the last however many years, five years, I'm done with this team. I'm not rooting for them anymore. I can't do it. I've never seen that before. Out of any sports team before, it's, it's just every, everybody is so sick of the ownership there and the constant embarrassment. And yes. it, they, the, the stadium is terrible. And the, the, everything about that franchise is awful awful right now and you look at it's it's dan snyder dan snyder's the problem here and what really is weird to me we talked about this when it happened the whole you know he's holding back revenue or whatever i thought that that was the opportunity okay the nfl owners can't enjoy this guy by any means he's an embarrassment he's not good for business but you could go and sell that look the broncos just sold for what four point whatever billion Washington would sell for more. I mean, it just, I know they don't got the stadium, but if somebody would look at that real estate and say, this is a grand opportunity. I can build this franchise back up. They're kind of one of the old school blue bloods in the NFL. They would sell for $6 billion probably. You could force Daniel Snyder out, get a better owner. Why won't they? Why? What are they doing protecting this guy when he's bad for business at every turn? I don't get it. I really don't, Jordy. I'm I'm as shocked as as you are. I think he is on that Donald Sterling level where it's just like he does nothing but embarrass the franchise. Nothing. He he brings nothing good to the table. And you wonder, what does he have? Are are the NFL owners so worried that he has the dirt on them that he's going to go score? Earth? I don't know. I'm, I'm very just perplexed by this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, um, it's just really weird, and it's just awkward. And I'm just I'm surprised he's still in there. Uh, why can't he just sell the thing and take his billions and go 
disappear. Why does he put up with all? I guess there's only a couple. You know, there's only thirty something of them. There's only thirty. And it's, it's I, big, he'll never sell. Like that's never going to happen. Like I mean, yeah. I, it would have to be a Jerry Richardson situation where the owners just say, "You got to sell." Like this is a forced go. sale. Like I don't think. I think yeah, Daniel Snyder's going to die as the Washington team owner if, <laughs> if he's allowed to. Oh my God! Uh, you like NBA hoops? Who you got tonight? Game six, Boston at home against uh, Golden State. You know, I came into the series saying Boston's going to win. I think they're a better team. I felt really good after, especially at a game one, game three. But I just think Golden State's figured them out. I mean, you look at how well their defense is playing, how poorly Boston is on offense. And I just think Steve Kerr did it. I think he figured it out. He's got this team playing great defense. Steph Curry is, it's all, he's almost a little underrated. Like, we don't talk about him in that LeBron Jordan type of range. And he might not be that high, but. Boy, he's good. He is so good. I mean, I love watching him play. He's one of these one of these few athletes that, that kind of universal. Like, who dislikes Steph Curry, right? He's Nobody. so much fun. Yeah. And I just think that I, I think that they're going to close it out. I think the ghosts of 2016, when they blew the 3-1 lead against the Cavs, I think that's in the back of their minds. A lot of guys are from that team are still there. I don't think they want to deal with Game 7. I think they go to Boston tonight and they close it out. They just They're, they're the better team right now. Boston had a chance. Steph couldn't make a three. Uh, his legs were tired, and he, he's been yeah. carrying the load for so much, and they still got to win. Uh, man, I tell you what. You know, I, I, it, Ray Allen shot threes. A bunch of people shot threes, but but nobody made it vogue like Steph Curry. And nope, uh, Nobody like him. He's nobody changed the game. Like that guy. Yeah, he has changed the game. I am a huge, huge fan of his by far. I'm a huge fan of uh, – of uh, Frank Schwab as well. So thank you as always. Welcome back. Hope you got a good suntan, man, and uh, relax. Uh, the grind is about to hit. It is. It is. My team previews are starting Monday, which is always kind of my unofficial kickoff to the season. So yeah. looking, uh, just you know, hey, I, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited for football, man. It's getting here quicker than we think. Too. I'm going to convince you, Frank, before it's all said and done, that, that you're sleeping on my Saints. I'm telling you. Uh, they're going to be, might, they're gonna be better be, than people might think. Be. We're going to we're gonna have to talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> you got it. Thank you for your time as always, buddy. Have a good night. Yep. Appreciate it. All right. Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports. He is uh he is the best. All right, you know, it's our birthday party. That's right, the game's birthday. This is your invitation. Come join us. Celebrate 10 years. Join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey on Wednesday. That's this coming Wednesday, a week from yesterday. There'll be delicious wings, amazing door prizes, and the longer this goes on, the more the more prizes we get. There's station swag, Astros tickets, 50-inch TV donated by AVI, AVI, car washes from the wash donated by Service Chevrolet, a gift card from Partners Limited, a round of golf with a cart at the Cane Row Golf Course, a $150 gift card to Mosley and Hollard's Men's Clothing, and much more. In addition, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from the party. So come join us at B-Dubs on Wednesday from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. for the game's 10th birthday bash. We'll take a time out here when we come back. Hump Day with Huguenin plus one on a Thursday edition. Uh, June 16th of the Jordy Helpert Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We're your home for the Houston Astros and the LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana. Uh-oh. Do you know what day it is? Huh? Anybody? 
It's time for Jordy to break down the biggest storylines in college athletics with Mike Huguenin of On3.com. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Here is Hump Day with Huguenin. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, we had to add a day to it since we were off yesterday because of the Astros. Um, but Mike Hugan and kind enough to join us on a Thursday. Mike, good afternoon, buddy. How are you? Doing quite well. Doing quite well. All right. Well, let's see. We got the NBA draft coming up. Today they announced the um, the SEC Big 12 Challenge matchup set for January of 2023. Kansas will visit Kentucky. Baylor will host Arkansas. Texas Tech will be at LSU. So um, the SEC's held the edge in five of the last six years in this matchup. That's I think that's one of the best things that college uh, basketball has come up with, these conference versus conference all in one day or two days and let them all play and see what happens. I think that's great. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, it, it is a good thing. I know that the ACC picked 10 one plays early in the year and the SEC Big 12 does it, you know, frankly, sort of in the middle of the conference season, which I think um, can boost your NCAA resume for sure, gives you a tough game in the middle of your conference schedule. And that's, I'm, I'm not sure that coaches like the placement on the calendar, but those games are good, whether they're played at the beginning of the year or middle of the season. Uh, the SEC may have the number one overall pick in Jabari Smith going to Orlando. More and more draft, mock drafts coming in. And uh, his all-around game and his length and his ability to adapt to the NBA game seem to go hand-in-hand. Hand. I'd be surprised if he wasn't the number one pick. Yeah, Orlando has a type um, that they like lean dudes who can play more than one position in terms of playing somewhere on the court. They, they, they like guys who can go inside, outside. Jabari Smith is going to have to get a lot more physical, um, but he certainly is a big guy who can shoot the three. I think he's a little bit too enamored at times with the three, but that he does fit the mold of what Orlando wants. Uh, Orlando doesn't want a 6'8", 260-pound power right. forward. They don't want a 6'3 guy who can only play the point. They want guys who can play multiple positions that are lean, and that's that certainly is Jabari Smith. I think you could play him at the 3 or the 4 on offense and even maybe the 5 on defense. So, again, he has to bulk up and, and be more physical. I'm with you, Mike Huguenin on 3.com. Uh, one name we haven't mentioned much. I haven't. I'm a risk. Uh, Terry Eason got invited to the uh, the green room for the 2022 NBA draft. They don't invite you unless they think you're going to be a first-round pick. Uh, I think Eason brings that um, that toughness that he's got the body of an NBA player already. I, I, he may be not the most skilled offensive player, but he's got the body and the physicality to make it. Yeah, I think that's the you know if you watch Jabari Smith last year, I, you know you're like, wow, he, he's a, he's a potential number one guy. Yeah, but not for what he did on the court, but for how he projects. And I think Easton's the right. same kind of guy. Chet Holmgren's the same kind of guy. You, you don't come out of college fully formed anymore. You you know teams look for certain traits or certain body types, or this guy can do two things extremely well, and we think we can help him do the things three, four, and five pretty well. I think Eason fits that latter latter category. He he is a physical guy. He can do some things defensively 
he's got a limited offensive game right now. But you're drafting for three years down the road, and you know that you talk to coaches in the NBA and you talk to coaches in college, and they're looking for different things. I think if Eason had stayed in school, or if Jabari Smith had stayed in school, or if Chet Holmgren had stayed in school, even one more year of development at the college level would have been a plus. But you know why? If you're going to make a million bucks, why hang around? So. You know, some guys thrive uh, in the NBA sort of learning on the fly, and others don't because they, you know, you're not sitting there practicing every day. You're getting on a plane, you're traveling, all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I can see why certain teams would, would want Ethan, just like there's a heck of a lot of teams that want Jabari Smith, even though these guys really aren't truly NBA ready. Uh, Mike Hugan and Onthor.com. Let's switch to football a little bit. Um, Shane Beamer, South Carolina, he gets Spencer Rattler to come over from Oklahoma in the in the portal. Um, how confident are you of Shane Beamer and and his ability to take South Carolina to a level that Steve Spurrier took it to that very very few people could take it to? Yeah, and I would argue that Spurrier is the winningest coach in South Carolina history. Yeah, um, which says a heck of a lot about South Carolina's football history. Um, you know, if Beamer does do that, he's a heck of a lot better coach than I think he is right now. Um, okay. he does seem to, he's a personable guy. He has, he and his staff have done a nice job in the portal because not only did they get Rattler, they got a guy, Antoine Wells from James Madison, who is going to be a really good complimentary receiver this year. Uh, Jaheim Bell, the tight end, came on strong at the end of last season. So I has got the makings of an interesting offense. Um, you, you, they have to recruit better. Um, and maybe it's interesting also to look at South Carolina, how they manage their roster, and you compare it to their in-state or tribal. Clemson. Clemson doesn't like the portal. South Carolina right. has no problem using the portal. So right. that's going to be interesting going forward. Clemson is all about signing and developing. I think, obviously, South Carolina wants better recruiting classes. It's going to be interesting to see if they can do that with Beamer. Um, the fact that that team got to a bowl last year is remarkable. Mm-hmm. They had horrible quarterback play, and mm-hmm. they still got to a bowl. Um, that's because they basically won all the games they were supposed to and, and pulled at least, I would argue, two upsets. Um, but I I think if you're a Gamecock fan, you feel more comfortable with Beamer right now than you did at this point last year. All that said, if Florida, Georgia, and, and Tennessee are doing what they're supposed to be doing, right. South Carolina is never going to finish higher than fourth in the division. And yeah. I think Kentucky's in the same boat. Kentucky is making hay because Florida and Tennessee are not close to being what yep. they should be. Um, but – Beamer, yeah, he's giving you reason to believe in the guy. No question. Uh, Michael Hugan at On3.com talking college football. Mississippi State won a national championship at baseball. They kind of fell flat on their face this year. That might have been the worst thing to happen to the head basketball coach and to the head football coach because they proved you could win a championship in Starkville. Mike Leach, I, he's one now, of those he, guys he, that I don't comes think he's going to win a national he, title in basketball or or. Football at Mississippi State. Baseball's different. Yeah. Um, I think the atmosphere there, 
I mean, it, it, it's different right. at Mississippi State. Um, Mississippi State, also, you look at the schools in their own division. If again, you know, go, let's go back to if if you know South Carolina never should be better than fourth if the teams in their division are doing what they're supposed to. I would argue that if if teams are supposed to be or doing what they're supposed to do in the SEC West, Mississippi State finishes last every single season. Yeah, yeah. Does LSU, Alabama, Auburn, Texas A and M for sure have yeah. should be doing that? That's those schools are better equipped to be football powers. Um, and I would argue Ole Miss and Arkansas have are in better shape as well yeah, if, if, if everything is going right. I think Leach, you know, Leach has had really good success at Texas Tech and really good success at Washington State. Uh, I think it's more difficult at Mississippi State to do that. Um, but I think this year's team is interesting. Will Rogers is a really good quarterback, and I wrote last week, you know, he's going to throw for 3,000. That's a given. He could actually complete 75% of his passes. And I think people look at that figure and laugh. He was at 73.2% last year. So this will be his third year in that offense. So, but I think Leach, wherever he is, has a ceiling because he doesn't recruit well, nor does he even care really about recruiting well. So So he seems uh, to be the guy that, that stays for three, four years and it kind of runs dry. And then he goes somewhere else in his personality and all the pirates. You're right. That's it's one thing, you know, fans liked him at Texas tech fans liked him at Washington state. Um, That's good to a point. You can't his person. I mean, you talk to, I've, heard people say we talked to recruits and they're like this dude's weird and he he you know he is acerbic um and people you know he does have a law degree and uh, you know i have family members with law degrees and mm-hmm. <clears throat> sometimes people don't like lawyers because they always that's think right. they're the smartest person in the room that's right that's um, right and that's how leach comes across not only to recruits but to coworkers, and that's the issue that some people have with Mike Leach. Um, he's not the easiest guy to get along with. You know, if, if he's winning games, you sort of put up with it. Um, and he is a really good coach. Um, it's going to be interesting this year to see how opposing defenses. You know, has he tweaked his offense? Because you know, you drop eight in the coverage, and you can stymie that offense. Um, and he's almost always planning his teams with better athletes. Mm-hmm. So it, it's 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 going to be interesting to see how Leach, how long Leach lasts in Starkville. I, I'm with you. I, I think he's a short-termer. I really, really do. Uh, we'll see. Um, Mike Hugan and On3.com. Lane Kiffin coached Ole Miss. His first season, they went 5-5. Five and five. They made a quantum leap to 10-3 and three last season. But he doesn't have Matt Corral. Can he keep that at that level, or you see a a, a, a major dip in Ole Miss this year? Well, that's an, I mean, you know, if if, if LSU and Texas A and M and Alabama and Auburn are doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're they're not winning ten games. So this year's team is interesting. They had they were one of only two teams in the nation last year. Arkansas was the other that had four guys rush for five hundred and fifty yards. At mm. Ole Miss, all four of those guys are gone. Um, mm. Jackson Dart comes in. Jackson Dart is not as mobile as Matt Corral. And while Jackson Dart looks the part, 
and has a really strong arm, well, I, let's, I'm sort of in a wait-and-see mode with him. I think their okay. key guy is Zach Evans, the transfer from Texas a from Texas Christian. Immensely talented running back. Immensely talented. I would argue mm-hmm. if there are, if he's one of the top three talents at running back in the country. The problem with Zach Evans is he's not always fully invested in terms of, you know, they're guys with, you know, he works hard and he's, again, immensely talented for whatever, you know, he had problems in high school. Um, Texas at TCU last year, he got hurt and they always thought he was, oh, he's COVID back this week. He never came back. Um, you sort of wonder how much he wants it. Um, this year, he can go to NFL next year. And if he puts it all together, he's a 1,500 yard a game rusher. Um, they've also lost their play caller. Jeff Levy's left for Oklahoma. The new play caller is Charlie Weiss Jr. He's huh. well thought of in the coaching world, but let's see. <laughs> um, their receiving core, Jonathan Mingo, is really talented. Let's see what he does. Um, and defensively, um, you know, DJ Durkin's gone. He went to Texas A&M, and that's not an overly talented defense anyway. So um, you sort of wonder if last year was lightning in a bottle in terms of Ole Miss getting to a New Year's Six game. I don't think they're going to a New Year's Six game this year. Here's Michael Huguenin on three dot com, and then there's Jimbo Fisher. I mean, what what's going to keep the Aggie fans happy? Eight and four is not going to make them happy this no. year, is it? No. No, and plus the, the news comes out earlier this week. We wrote the story that you know that Texas A and M was extremely upset with Nick Saban. They sent a, right. a, a letter to Greg Sankey. We want him suspended. No, you know, you know, it comes out publicly. You know, I'll be honest. That to me. <laughs> Oh, that's junior high-esque, man, passing notes and stuff in class, that kind of stuff. First, if you're Russ Bjork and you're upset, don't send an email because that gives you a paper trail. Instead, call up Greg Sankey on the phone. Um, It's And you're right, I mean, and if the idea that Saban wasn't going to be focused enough on Texas A&M, I would argue that this, the idea that he wanted him suspended – Man, he's going to have a laser focus so sharp that it would cut through steel. So, um, and you, you know, we've talked on your show before. For all the hosannas thrown Jimbo's way, oh, he's a quarterback whisperer. You know, his quarterbacks have been adequate, and that's all since he got to A and M. Uh, Kellen Mond never really all got that much better. He still made stupid mistakes when he was a senior. So, yeah. what does? Who does he choose as his quarterback? Is it Max Johnson, who I think has a clear and distinct ceiling, or is it Haynes King, who I think his mobility gives would give A and M an extra added some extra added oomph on offense? They got Connor Wegman, the five star true freshman, um, but you know A and M. You're right. This is a huge season yes. for A and M because the expectations are sky high. And you're right, forget winning eight. If they win nine games, I think A&M fans are going to be like, you know something, we're not, we're not here to win nine games. Uh, right. We're here to win 11 games or at the least 10. So there's yeah. a ton of pressure on Fisher. That is a really good roster. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens if they don't go to a near six game this year. They certainly should. Let's see if they do. Here's Mike Hugan and on3.com. Um, quiet days. That's good. That's good. Like we've always said, if you're in the news now, it's for no good reasons. 
and uh, everybody wants to stay out of the news and the headlines. So, Mike, thank you so much. Enjoy your uh, the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you again down the road, my friend. Thank you. Excellent. Talk to you next week, man. Appreciate it. All right, it. Mike, Mike Huguenin on 3.com. Um, the Who game is that? Tune in next week to the Jordy Holberg Show for Hump Day with Huguenin. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 44 minutes after the hour, 45 minutes after the hour, rather. Um, the Saints have wrapped up a mandatory minicamp. John Hendricks, the Saints lead writer, reporter for At St. News, for At Foundation, uh, Foundation at SI.com, also part of Boot Crew Media, amongst the many millions of things he does. He was there. Um, John, thanks for the time. Real quick, uh, kind of sum it up. What did you see? What did you like? Yeah, look, uh, I mean, we saw a ton of things, right? And so some takeaways from this whole entire minicamp, I think just seeing some of these guys around the building has been a big thing. Um, you know, I think when you talk about just kind of first impressions uh, just from camp is, I think Jameis Winston's moving extremely well. I think he's Good. doing extremely great as far as his progress goes. I don't think it's going to be an issue to really see where he's going to lie when it comes to training camp in the season. Um, you know, I think it's first thing. And then second thing would be seeing all these vets around, right? And you're going to see what Jarvis Landry is going to bring to the table. I think you're going to see some of these other additions like Tyron Matthews is going to make such a large impact on this team and just how these rookies have really adapted and, just kind of leaned on these vets and have gotten a lot of knowledge, been a sponge, if you will. Uh, guys like Alante Taylor, I think, have been outstanding as far as their development and growth, um, aside from Chris Olave. But, you know, look, uh, that and just seeing Dennis Allen and just kind of him putting his own brand and stamp on things, it's completely, I guess, somewhat kind of like Sean, but definitely different than Sean. And I think it's for the better and for a team that's really trying to find their identity and escape the shadow of, Brees and Sean Payton here, uh, I think they're headed in the right direction. I'm with you. Got to put your own stamp on it. The other big news is Marcus Davenport had the top portion of his left pinky finger amputated this offseason. My goodness. Yeah, look, it's something that happened flared up back in 2016 when he was playing in college. And so, and, you know, they tried to do some things. And, I, and you know, that was kind of, I guess, the, the best thing for him at the moment. And, you know, obviously, I don't think it's going to affect them. I think, obviously, the biggest thing is the shoulder. Um, you know, he's dealing with right. that, too. But, you know, that's going to be important for him. Last year, he was able to be a part of the off-season program, which I remember Dennis Allen saying that was a huge thing for him, just being able to be around. And so, look, it's just really one of those situations where, you know, you just learn about what these players battle through. And, and look, he's a, a first-round pick. You know, you saw the draft capital the Saints had to give up to get him, and you're always going to live in that pressure zone, if you will. But, you know, I remember last year and seeing interviews with Marcus and seeing how he kind of just shed away that, that pressure. And, you know, you mm-hmm. saw a player when he was on the field last season how dominant he can be. And so he's in the contract year with guys like C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Deion. John Hendricks, um, he warned us he may hit a dead zone somewhere, and I, I think he did. I hope we still have him at uh, 47 minutes after the hour. I was going to ask him about running back David Johnson, who was a former pro bowler, at, um, uh, who was invited to minicamp on a tryout basis. I wanted to find out how 
uh, he felt about that. James, do we have him or have we lost him? Jordy, I don't, can you hear me? There you go. There you go. Yeah, we you hit a dead zone, but that's a David Johnson. How do you look? Is he gonna is he gonna be invited back uh, again at the running back position? Yeah, of the four trial players, I'd say. I mean, he was still around, and uh, you know, Joe Sherbert was the only one I didn't see. So, uh, you know, look, I think he has a good opportunity to make the the, the training camp roster. Maybe bring him in later in the process. But okay. you know, look, I thought he looked good. I think that's an area the Saints can get better at. So I, we'll see what happens with him. I guess the best news is everybody that was supposed to be there was there. Uh, maybe not all of them participating, but at least they were there. Nobody was skipping things. And the fact that Jameis Winston looks like he's moving around well, that's always a great sign. I've got to ask you, the Saints are going to wear for the first time in, in team history in a regular season game at some point in time this year a new black helmet. Um, did you just tell me he's gone? Okay, he's gone. Anyway, all right. Um, weather, acting up, cell phones, cell towers, that's that's fine. No problem. We will uh, we'll catch up with John yet again on another day. Meanwhile, Trail is putting on a free all-day event this Saturday at Cafe 20.3 at 1500 General Mouton. In addition to free paddling, there will also be a party featuring live music to help out the Mile Zero Heroes by raising awareness and funds to build the new Teat for Park and Boat Launch at Mile Zero of the Vermilion River. Donations and sponsorships are welcome. Trail will match up to $20,000 in donations. For more information, visit www.latrail.org. So again, Jameis Winston looked good. Everybody was in attendance. Um and ready to, I think people are sleeping on the Saints. I just I think they're sleeping. I really, really do. I don't I know they say, oh, you lost the most important person in the building and in Sean Payton. Uh, and that may very well be the case. Uh, but I think this team is talented. And I think there's enough of a carryover that um that they'll be okay. They'll be okay. All right, we'll take our final timeout of the day. This is the Jordy Helpert show. We are on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are your home for the Houston Astros and the LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 16th, 1975. The Milwaukee Bucks trade three-time MVP Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Walt Wesley to the LA Lakers for four players. Kareem would win three more MVPs and five titles with the Lakers. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, as we wrap things up, the first round of the U.S. Open still ongoing. Phil Mickelson through 10 holes is six over par. Sam Burns is one over par through 12 holes today. Um, the leaderboard uh, at the top, you've got uh, one, two, three, four, five at three under par, including Rory McIlroy. So uh, lots of golf to go, but uh, right now, Phil Mickelson wouldn't make the cut as he is at plus six. If today is your birthday, June 16th, we wish you, you and yours, a very, very happy birthday. Lots of cake, lots of ice cream, maybe a present or two. 
you share your day with. He's just 23 years old, and he is a stud. Double J, Justin Jefferson of the Minnesota Vikings celebrating a birthday today. What a wide receiver room that was for LSU. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, uh, uh, Marshall. Oh, my gosh. What a group. What a group. Uh, special thanks to our guest today, Matthew Bruni, talking all things LSU. Chris Connor, all things NBA. Frank Schwab about the NFL. Michael Hugan and all things college athletics. And briefly, John Hendricks on a report of the Saints' mandatory minicamp. Tomorrow, a fun-filled Friday. The regular crew shuffles in. Larry Holder, George Faust, uh, James Becknell, and others. We'll recap Game 6, see if the Warriors are going to have a parade in San Fran, or are they going back for a Game 7? That, and can the Braves keep their win streak alive? And can the Astros keep it rolling as they lead their division by nine and a half games? My goodness. James, thank you so much for all you do. Thanks to all of you for listening in in whatever form or fashion that you do. Thanks to our partners that make it possible each and every day. You know, you know, we couldn't do it without you. Come on back tomorrow, same time, two to four, same great stations, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Until tomorrow. I'm Jordy Helper. Stay thirsty, my friends. Do everything you can to stay healthy, my friends. By all means, let's be kind to one another and be happy. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.